918 of the Bibles you've been given. And we are reading from Matthew chapter 6. And we're beginning at the fifth verse. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the, from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much, Val. You may want to keep that passage open in your Bibles on page 918, just as we look at the Lord's Prayer today. Let's just pray just before um, we look at this in more detail. Father God, please uh, send your spirit to us today. Help us to hear your voice and help us to learn how to pray as uh, your son taught us here today. Lord, help us to hear what that means for us in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in, um, in a series of um, looking through the prayers um, in the Bible this August. And today's passage is a very familiar prayer. It's probably the most familiar prayer in the world, in fact. Um, but familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. So we're going to try and look at it with fresh eyes this morning. And Jesus is challenging us in this prayer um, to understand that there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. Um, there's a, a scheme of the, the talk here on the sheets that you've been given, and that's the first thing that I want to say, is that Jesus is challenging us that there's a right and a wrong way to pray. Um, yes. Sometimes we... Uh, I don't know how, how your prayer life is today. I wonder whether um, you pray at all. Maybe you don't pray. Maybe you used to pray and you've given up. Maybe you're praying fervently for something again and again. Maybe you have someone on your mind that you're praying for. Maybe when you pray, your prayers seem to be hitting the ceiling and coming back at you as if it's just your voice in the room. Sometimes when we pray, I think, it's a bit like when you've been using a computer for a while and the computer starts to slow down. Have you ever had that where you use the mouse around and it starts to disappear and then you get this sort of 
hourglass that appears on your screen. Sometimes it sort of flips around a bit just to keep you occupied while it's the computer sort of catching up with what you're trying to do. And if we've been praying for a long time, sometimes things seem to sort of grind to a halt. And I don't know what you do at that time. Maybe you've got a help desk or someone you phone up and say, my computer's not working. And they invariably tell you to do the same thing again and again, don't they? They say, have you tried switching it off and switching it back on again to do a reboot, a reboot of your computer? Well, I think that sometimes for us, if we approach the Lord's Prayer again, it can be a bit like a reboot for us. It restores our original default settings and brings us back to the very heart of what it is to pray. And I hope that that's what we're going to find today as we look at it in a bit more detail. But firstly, the wrong way and the right way to pray. The structure of the chapter here where we've got that little section on prayer, Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't be like these people. He's looking at a wrong way to pray before he looks at the right way to pray. One of my favorite commentaries on prayer is the movie Bruce Almighty. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie with Jim Carrey, who plays Bruce, and Morgan Freeman, who has who plays an amazing God. He, pray, he, he plays God so spectacularly. And there's one scene where Bruce is invited to pray to God um, by Morgan Freeman. And so Bruce summons up every ounce of holiness he has in him. He screws up his face and he says, Lord, feed the hungry and bring peace to all mankind. Amen. How was that? And Morgan Freeman turns to him and says, well, that's great if you want to be Miss America, <laughs> but what do you really care about? And I think that that passage really sums up for us, in a way, what Jesus is pointing out is the wrong ways to pray. There are two wrong things that Bruce is doing in that prayer. Firstly, he's trying to make himself look good, look good to God, and potentially, I think what Jesus is pointing to in verses 5 and 6 is looking good to other people. And we, as people who come to church, need to be particularly wary of this particular wrong way of praying. Jesus had a word for people who pray for the sake of looking good. He called them hypocrites. We can see that in verse 5. He called them frauds. Sometimes we try to make ourselves look better than we really are. Sometimes, are we trying to con God, maybe, that we are better or holier than we really are? Lisa sometimes says about me, when you're speaking there, you're putting on your David Attenborough voice again, <laughs> trying to make myself look more intelligent or professional than I really am. Jesus then, in uh, verse 6, goes on to say what you can do about that. He says, go to your room close the door when you pray. I wonder for us if we find ourselves praying with the wrong motive sometimes. If we can find a secret place in our week where we can pray, where no one else knows about it, so that we make sure it's just between us and God. Maybe if we're working, it's in our lunch break. Maybe we could find one lunch during the week to go and find a, a church that's open to sit in or a park to walk in. Maybe we could walk along the river here um, and just make sure that we're praying, just us and God. Maybe it's during, while you're doing the washing up or something like that. You can pray 
quietly to God. I don't know if any of you have been watching the series Rev on BBC Two, which I love. Um, but there are some great scenes of, of him just praying while he's doing the washing up. And it's actually a really emotional thing, seeing him pr- praying there, doing the washing up. So find a secret place if we find ourselves praying with the wrong motives. And secondly, the wrong way to pray is praying using words as a magic formula. Jesus says, don't babble like the pagans. We might think of just going blah, 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 blah in our heads. I don't know whether you've ever found yourself halfway through the Lord's Prayer as we say it in church. Finding yourself halfway through the prayer thinking, oh, I had forgotten that I was actually praying. I was thinking about lunch or I was looking at the stain on the coat of the person in the pew in front of us, um, thinking about other things entirely. We're saying the words without even thinking about it. And here, I think Jesus is asking us to subvert that pattern, that rhythm in our life. One of my uh, old lecturers at Ridley Hall, where I was training before I came here, in one of his churches, he decided, right, we're not going to say the Lord's Prayer. We're going to have a fast from the Lord's Prayer for a month. We're not going to say it at all because we're not even thinking about what we're saying. I'm not suggesting that we want to do that necessarily here. I'm just thinking about the patterns that we fall into where something that was such a treasure for us before, like prayer or worship or a part of our spiritual life, we end up finding that it's become religion. It's become something institutional and safe, and God is somehow absent from it. So when we find these things, we subvert the pattern. We need to stop and think about what we're saying and praying. So, two wrong ways to pray. But what about the right ways to pray? I want to pick out three phrases from the Lord's Prayer, which are so familiar to us. But look at the movement in the prayer and try and bring us back to the heart of what Jesus is saying about what it is to pray. Three phrases. Firstly, we pray to our Father. The prayer starts, Our Father. Maybe we just stop and breathe and listen to those two words. Our Father. These two words change everything. We might come to prayer with requests. We might come to to prayer in anger. All sorts of emotions in our heart. But those two words change everything. While I've been walking around over the last couple of weeks with this prayer, I've been going over it again and again, trying to think about what I'm going to say. Again and again, I couldn't get past our Father. What Jesus is doing here is putting prayer in the context of relationship. What he's doing is giving us a new title for God, yes. But he's also giving us a new understanding of who we are. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, We can call God our Father in the same way that he did, even if we didn't have such a good relationship with our own Father. Our Father in heaven is a perfect and loving Father who longs for us to be in relationship with him. On that page 918 in the Bibles, again and again in this passage, Jesus brings his disciples back to that relationship. In verse 4 of chapter 6, 
he says, then your father who sees what is done in, in secret will forgive you. Or in verse 6, pray to your father who is unseen. Again in verse 8, for your father knows what you need. And right at the bottom of the page, in verse 32, your heavenly father knows that you need them. All these things. God is in relationship with us, and all prayer is seated in that context. So firstly, our Father. The second thing about praying is that we pray in hope. Jesus prays, your kingdom come. He's inviting us in this to see ourselves as part of a bigger story. It's a story that Jesus brought into play by preaching that the kingdom is coming. And it's a story with an ending that we're heading towards. The new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth where God's presence is more real to us than daylight itself and where all wrongs are righted. We're part of a bigger story. Now I've got a picture to show you. If Judith can bring it up on the screen. There we go. Uh, anybody know who that is? Who is it? Boris Johnson. Oh, Bojo. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> Our dear, esteemed mayor of London. And does anybody know what Boris is doing here? Sorry? No, it's not a Boris bike, actually, or that would be more topical. It's at the new velodrome. That's absolutely right. Here's Boris. He's actually on Chris Hoy's Olympic bicycle. I don't know if you ever saw the, the scene where Boris was slightly shaky going around this makeshift track at the new velodrome, which is basically a building site on the east end of London. A bit of a ridiculous figure, really. He's got blonde hair everywhere, slightly disheveled jacket, and slightly overweight on the bicycle saddle. What is Boris doing here? What is he doing? Well, I'd like to say that what he's doing is energizing our imagination. What he's doing in this slightly ridiculous act is a bit like what the Old Testament prophets would do by, by their actions. He's saying, this might look to you like a slightly overweight politician riding around a building site on a bicycle, but imagine two years from now, this building site won't be a building site anymore. It'll be a glistening stadium filled with people from all over the world. And in the future, it won't be me on the bicycle. It'll be our champion cyclists bringing home gold for Britain. Get with the picture. If we all put our, our work together, we can achieve this dream and make it glorious. So there's Boris enacting a prophet, prophetic role. He's inspiring in us our imagination that what we see isn't necessarily what the future is going to bring. So, even more so, as we pray, your kingdom come, we are seating ourselves in a bigger story of God's salvation plan for the whole of mankind. And as we pray that, as we bring to him people, friends that we have in need, we start to think, maybe I can be a friend indeed to that person. Maybe I can get with that program and actually act out God's loving purposes for my friends. Maybe I can be an answer to my own prayers by reaching out to people 
in loving action. So we pray to the Father, our Father. We pray in hope of his coming kingdom. And lastly, we pray in faith. Jesus prays in verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Or more literally, it would be translated, give us the bread for today. Give us our daily bread, our bread just for today. It seems quite a humble prayer, doesn't it? I wonder whether you might be more familiar with the prayer, Lord, let my lottery numbers come up. (laughs) That would be more spectacular answer to prayer. But it's a humble prayer. It's give us today our daily bread. Daily bread is a very evocative term. It brings up memories in the, in the group consciousness of Israel. They will remember what daily bread means. I wonder what daily bread might mean to you. For me at the moment, with holidays coming up, it brings up scenes of France, and more specifically, warm croissant in the morning. See, the French are passionate about bread. They love warm croissant in the morning, or all the different, different varieties of bread that there are in France. I don't know if there are any French here today, but I love the French attitude for for bread. It seems that daily bread for the French is part of their very consciousness. It's about being French, just as the national language and going on strike every now and then. It conjures up what it is to be French. It conjures up the spirit of revolution. When the planners were building Paris, they went to great lengths to make sure that there was a a baker, a boulangerie, within walking distance of every home in Paris so that they could get their daily bread. It was woven in, this way of life, to the very fabric of the community. So the French know about the, the pleasure and the treasure of daily bread, and I'm looking forward to taking part in that myself in a few weeks' time. For the Israelites, daily bread had even greater significance because it captured what it was in the exodus when they were moving from being captives in Egypt under Pharaoh to moving to the promised land as the chosen people of God. And throughout the desert, God would provide for them bread from heaven, manna from heaven. This bread would only last for one day. If you tried to store it up and keep it the next day, it went off. It rotted. Why is that? Because God was saying to them that it was important for them to learn to be reliant on him, to be in relationship with him, to be reliant on him for their daily bread. It was a a thing of trust to make sure that they believed that God would provide for them tomorrow. So we don't need to pray for that lottery win. Our God is a God who's richer than the richest billionaire. As Cooley was praying before, words from Psalm 50, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Or more recently, as Bono might have said, the God I believe in ain't short of cash, mister. So at the end of this prayer, Jesus brings us back to the beginning again. Our prayer for, giving, for, for our daily bread is a prayer of reliance on God our Father 
who loves to provide for all of our needs. So just as we close, I wonder if we might want to take the Lord's Prayer home with us today and just read through it again slowly. Use it as a reboot for your computer system. Dwell on those two words, our Father. Maybe if you do nothing else, it might be worth meditating on those two words and reminding ourselves of the precious relationship that we have in God through Jesus. We pray in hope. We pray as part of a bigger story of God's coming kingdom. And we pray in faith to a Father who loves to provide for all of our needs. Amen.